Hey, this is John at The Bible Project. We are doing an ongoing series called How to Read the Bible. And right now we're discussing how to read the Gospels. The Gospels are the first four books in the New Testament. The Gospel according to Matthew, according to Mark, according to Luke, and according to John. These are four ancient biographies of Jesus. And it kind of makes you wonder, why did we get four? And why do all four open in very different ways? Four very different beginnings. Four totally different strategies for introducing an ancient biography. Each gospel has a different beginning because the author wants to take you on a different journey. A journey to understand how Jesus is the climax of the Hebrew scriptures. They're constantly and from the first moments tying the Jesus story back into the Hebrew scriptures. This is one of the main ways the gospels work. There's not a story, not a parable of Jesus, not a teaching of Jesus that isn't packed with Old Testament allusions. So today we'll break down the wall that often exists in our minds between the Old and New Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, and the gospels, and see how really they're all telling the same story pointing to Jesus. Thanks for joining us. Here we go. Okay, let's continue talking about the gospel. Yes, how to read the gospels. How to read the gospel. How to read <laughs> the fourfold gospel accounts. Well, there you go. <laughs> I don't know. The singular gospel told, told according to four different points of view. Okay. That's the title of each of the books. The gospel, singular, according to, and then the four different names. Matthew, yeah. Mark, Luke, and John. Right. And uh, this is in our How to Read the Bible series. Mm-hmm. What we talked about last time was uh, what that term huh. gospel means. Yes. And I asked you to kind of situate me in the historical setting, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which we spent some time doing. But but yeah, so it's good news. And mm-hmm. it's good news. Jesus said he came announcing the good news that the kingdom of God is near. Yes. Which then begs the question, what does that mean? But if you've been reading the Hebrew scriptures, mm-hmm. God mm-hmm. has wanted to use Israel to... Um, bless all of the nations and make their nation great, their kingdom great. And they've been anticipating that that to happen. But for the last half a millennia, mm. they've been yeah. enslaved by, well, not enslaved, but they've been um, under occupation yep. yeah, by a bunch right. of different empires. Yeah. Jesus busts onto the scene, yelling this message, announcing this kingdom is near message yeah god's kingdom has arrived and such a message gets people killed yes it does it got him killed <laughs> and it did it got yeah. him killed yeah not right away and then mm-hmm. this message of god's kingdom coming it's through him is yep. what you learn as you read the gospels and so yeah when mark introduces the story mm-hmm. he says the gospel is the story of jesus that yes. is the gospel yeah jesus comes announcing the good news about the kingdom of god and you are told that story its first sentence is the good news about jesus yeah <laughs> so the good news by jesus becomes the good news about jesus so yeah god's kingdom coming yeah. is intricately connected yeah with the person yeah. of jesus that's right and that's because jesus And the apostles inherited this term good news from the prophets, the biblical prophets who used that, specifically Isaiah, used the word good news to Mm. talk about the coming of God's kingdom to bring about new Jerusalem and new creation. Yeah. So you wanted to go through four Mm. perspectives? Yeah. Yeah, These are just, when I introduce students to what the gospels are Mm -hmm. and how to read them at kind of a new next level, 2.0 like set of reading skills, four features of the Gospels that when you pay attention to them, you begin noticing and being able to appreciate more of what's there. Okay. It's tuning in to what, how the authors are doing what they're doing and their portrayal of Jesus. Because okay. that is what they're offering. These are ancient biographies mm-hmm. of Jesus, which are um, aimed at both telling you the essence of this figure mm-hmm. through the key events and teachings, but also they are persuasive documents. We talked about that yeah, too. Right. They are aimed at persuading the reader. Yeah. They're not unbiased <laughs> historical archives. Yes. Yeah. 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 Well, let's just get into it. Yeah. Deal. Okay.
so here's four, yes, unique features. Here's the first one. We've already anticipated it, is that these authors are very keen to show you how Jesus is bringing the storyline of the Hebrew Scriptures to a climactic moment of fulfillment. And they do this through constant referencing back to, if you have a, a Christian Bible, it's going to have the Old and New Testaments. Yeah. And so basically it's these four books are constantly referring back to key texts, key stories, key poems in the first three quarters of your Bible. That's how you experience it. Right. So one, one simple way to take your reading of the Gospels to the next level <laughs> is to get a Bible that has quotations of the Old Testament marked with little footnotes. Mm-hmm. So that the Which tra- almost every Bible does. M- many do. Not all. Really? Not all? Not all. Uh, if it, sometimes if it's an explicit quotation, it will tell oh. you. Um, but if it's just a reference, like it's mm-hmm. a, an allusion or but something. But sometimes it's not a quotation. As we're going to see, there's many ways that they do it. Okay. Well, for, let's talk about it. All right. Let's just, they have lots of ways that they do it. And each gospel author has a different strategy for mm-hmm. how they employ... I call these hyperlinks. Now, yeah, yeah like that's the, your terminology. The Wikipedia page is such a helpful analogy, or the interweb as a whole. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. For how the Bible works. Yeah. You can read a series of web pages in a sequence that right. maybe the website designer intends you to. Mm-hmm. This page and then that page. But then with hyperlinks, you can begin linking between pages based off of themes and ideas. Yeah. And you and the Bible's very similar, hmm. how it was written and produced, to be read in both ways. <laughs> so the simplest way is to look at page one of each of the four gospel accounts. And right off the bat, from the opening lines, each one of them is in a heavy-handed way, linking the story of the Jesus they're about to present to you, linking it back to the first three quarters of, of your Bible. Hmm. So I thought we'd just survey real quick, because it's just kind of cool to compare yeah, how good. they've done it. Let's start with... Uh, let's start with Mark. Mark, okay. Yep. In terms of gospel scholarship, probably the widest, the wide, most widely held position among scholars of the origins of the gospels is that Mark is the chronologically the oldest. Okay. Written first. Written first, and that Matthew and or perhaps Luke both use Mark as a source. Mm-hmm. People debate that, and then it's mostly most widely held view that John is uh, was the last of the four to be written. Right. So that's why often you'll see people quote from Mark when they're talking about the Gospels, because Mark will have preserved maybe an oldest form of a story or Mm. saying of Jesus or something like that. Anyway. Okay. So Mark begins. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophet Isaiah. (laughs) (laughs) Just right off the bat. He he doesn't even start the story. (laughs) Yeah. He wants to connect it. Totally. To the prophets. Yes. And then we've. I don't know if you remember this or not. We've talked about this. He right quotes this. he quotes from Malachi. Oh, that's right. And Isaiah. That's right. Put in a blender. <laughs> yeah, you um, you mentioned this. I'm editing your Ephesians class, and you uh, use this yeah. as a as a reference for that. How the apostles mm-hmm. uh, quote the Hebrew scriptures is not how you would anticipate they do it. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he's saying he's quoting from Isaiah. But what he's actually done is blended together wording from two texts in the prophets. Yeah. From the first book of the prophets, Isaiah, and from yes. the last book of the prophets, Malachi. Right. So he picks the bookends. And in both of those books, there is a two texts that already they're hyperlinked and referring to each other. It's about Yahweh sending a herald mm-hmm. who will say, prepare the way of the Lord to return to Zion. Mm-hmm. So in other words, in Isaiah 40 and in Malachi chapter 4, those two texts before Mark ever came along were hyperlinked within the Hebrew Bible. When you say they were hyperlinked, mm-hmm. what, what do you uh, What I mean is that the, the authors of the prophetic collection have intended the reader to hyperlink Isaiah 40 and Malachi 4. To connect those. To connect the motif of... Before the great day of Yahweh and the kingdom comes, he will send a herald who will prepare the way. So the the, the people who shaped... The, the collection of the prophets. The collection of the prophets mm-hmm. wanted you to read Isaiah 40 mm-hmm. and be thinking about Yep, Malachi. and be like, oh yeah, that's exactly how this collection is going to end. And it's this phrase, prepare the way of the Lord. Mm. It's the same exact phrase, okay. verbatim, yes. used in Isaiah 40, 
and used in Malachi. Yeah. And then in the context, both passages are talking about how Yahweh is going to raise up a prophet yeah. to be the herald of that ultimate. And whenever in, in scripture a mm-hmm. phrase is repeated, it's not like they were just mm. running out of ideas for phrases. Mm. They're like purposefully connecting to other sections of the Bible. Um, yeah, the main communication technique, one of the main communication techniques of biblical authors is repeating phrases, mm-hmm. um, sometimes within the same story or poem, mm-hmm. other times within adjacent mm-hmm. stories or poems, and then sometimes with stories or poems that are yeah. at, at some distance from each other. And especially rare... This is the design pattern conversation yep, we've this had. Is design pa- this is how design patterns work. So, exactly. And especially when it's rare and unique vocabulary. Mm-hmm. How many times in the Hebrew Bible... You get a passage about Yahweh raising up a herald to prepare the way of the Lord. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, actually just in only two books. (laughs) (laughs) And so what this tells us is Mark is paying attention to a design pattern in the Hebrew Bible. Mark's reading the Hebrew Bible exactly in this manner he's reading it along the contours of its design Mm. and he wants he wants um, his reader to know hey dear reader this thing that you read about from the beginning to the ending of the prophets in the Hebrew Bible, that's the thing that's happening. So he's tapping into a well-known motif and then saying Jesus is doing that thing that the prophets were preparing us for. So, Which is why he'll say it's quoting from Isaiah, but he's quoting from a, hype, a hyperlinked quotation of Malachi. And <laughs> this guy knows his Bible. Yeah. That's the point here. Yeah. Uh, and then John the Baptist appears. So this is how Mark does it. Before he even begins a story, he puts a blended quotation of a design pattern from the prophets to as a, like a prologue to the yeah. book. Specifically, there's a messenger yeah, who's coming right. to prepare the way of the Lord. Yeah, yeah. So I'm sending a messenger, and he is going to prepare the way of the Lord. The narrative starts in verse 4. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness. Yeah. He just quoted saying, there will be a voice crying in the wilderness. <laughs> John, okay, so think. You have a her- in the quotation, you have a herald in the wilderness mm-hmm. preparing the way of Yahweh. Yeah. Narrative begins. John the Baptist in the wilderness. Right. Who's with, he preparing the way With a message. Oh, he's preparing the way for the Lord. Who's in the Yahweh slot? Yeah. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth and was yeah. baptized by John. You're expecting Jordan. the That's Lord right. to come. Yeah. Yahweh to come. Exactly. The Old Testament quote prepares you for a Yahweh figure after the herald. And, and Mark gives you John and then Jesus, Jesus yeah. in, the, in the narrative slot where yeah. you would expect Yahweh. So that's, that's how Mark did it. Yeah. It's very clear. He mm-hmm. wants you to see Jesus as bringing about something that the whole Hebrew scriptures were pointing towards. Yeah. And notice he doesn't come out and say it. It's all through the narrative, the design of the narrative and that quotation. That That's his strategy for doing it. Right. So it assumes a lot of the reader. It does assume a lot. It's not, when you say it's clear, <laughs> <laughs> it's clear if you know what you're looking for. Yeah, that's right. It's clear if you've, if you're an informed reader of the scriptures and yeah. Mark assumes that if you're reading his book, you belong to a church where you've been taught how to read the Bible. <laughs> well, Mark, that's a brave assumption. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is in, after the printing press. Is, right? yeah. Turn to Matthew chapter one. Matthew one, the first in the Bible mm. of the gospel. Yeah, that's right. Collection. Yep. Yeah, it is now. Yeah, the book of the genealogy of Jesus, Messiah, son of David, son of Abraham. Abraham begat Isaac. <laughs> Isaac begat Jacob. Jacob begat Judah and his brothers. And what follows is most of this chapter is first half of the chapter is a genealogy. Yeah. 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 Family tree. Yep. It's the first page, first paragraph Snooze of the New fest. Testament is a genealogy. <laughs> <laughs> what did you say? Snooze fest? <laughs> yeah. It's boring. It can be perceived as boring. <laughs> it is perceived as boring by lots of people. Actually, the, the word genealogy in Greek, the Greek word underneath that's the word Genesis. 
It's the Greek oh, yeah. word genesis. Sure. L- literally. Where did where did I begin from? Yeah. <laughs> well, let me yeah, tell genealogy, you. Genealogy, genesis. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, you can see it in there. Do you have a good genealogy like mapped out of uh, any of your family oh, lines? Oh, my wife does because of her grandma. Uh-huh. This is fat binder. That's German. That her grandma mailed us. Yeah, and her grandma's thoroughly, thoroughly German. And then mine is mostly Scottish. Yeah. And... All I know is as a kid, my dad showed me the Mackay plaid, like oh. the, the clan plaid. Yeah, man. It's a certain plaid. That's right. I forgot you had a plaid. Yeah. I mean, you need to do something with that. <laughs> if I had a family plaid, would you like, I'd be sporting get, that. Get a shirt out of it? No, I'd get like a, get like a jacket. <laughs> okay. So Matthew highlights Jesus' lineage for two figures, David, Abraham, right? Yeah. In the opening sentence. Two important... Yeah. Figures. yeah. So the royal founder of Jerusalem, the designer of the temple. Hmm. Then the father of them all. Mm-hmm. And the one whom God said, I will give you a great name and use you to plant my people in their land. <laughs> Abraham mm-hmm. was called out of Babylon, given the blessing of Adam to become a blessing to all of the nations. So it's just shorthand right there, even in the opening line. Yeah. Okay, this Jesus will be carrying forward what God was up to with Abraham and yeah, with David. Right. Then you get a genealogy. You get Abraham to David. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, by the way, like, why repeat that? We've got that elsewhere. Oh, that's right. Well, he yeah, he wants to make a uh, certain point. Okay. One is he's broken the genealogy into three movements. Yeah. Three movements of 14 generations. Uh, there's three movements of 14 generations. He goes from Abraham to David. That's 14. Okay. Then he goes from David to the exile to Babylon. Do mm-hmm. you see that? Yeah. Another 14. Then from the exile to Jesus, mm-hmm. who is called Messiah, another 14. Hmm. There's three sets of 14. And so notice the progression. In the first line, he said, Jesus, son of David, son of Abraham. Yeah. But then he gives you a structure of from Abraham to David. Yep. From David to the, the exile. exile, from the exile to Messiah. The implicit movement is from Abraham to David to the exile. Jesus is the response to the exile. Yeah. He's the, the next thing after the exile. The restoration after the exile. Yeah. 500 years plus have gone by. <laughs> yeah. The, a bunch of people came back to the land 400 years ago. <laughs> Ezra Nehemiah tells you that story. But if you've been reading the Hebrew Bible, you know that the exile... Yeah. In the eyes of the prophets. That they're still in it exile. Didn't, it didn't end. The, they returned to the land, but the restoration from exile has still not happened. Yeah. Not until they become free. Yeah. The new, the new covenant people who are God's witnesses among the nations. There's also a thing going on here with, if you go compare these genealogies with the sources where he got them from mm-hmm. in Genesis and Chronicles, He's left out generations. Yeah. To well, you have to if you're going to keep it to 14, I guess. Well, so then that raised the question. Why 14? Why does he, why 14? Yeah. Like he knows you can go read in the Bible, go yeah. find these. Yeah. He knows that you're going to find Ahaziah and Amaziah and the, king, the kings he left out. So that just begs the question, um, why is he doing that? Um, so there's a couple thoughts. One, it's a multiplier of seven, two times seven. Um, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Second. The number 14 is the numerical value of the name David. Oh, you add up all the letters of David's name. Mm-hmm. There's three, three letters. And you get to 14. And you get 14. It's almost certain that the, he's shaped the numbers mm. in each of the generations to correspond to the hope of a new David. Got it. It's a new David that is a response to the exile. Mm. So he also has um, four women in the genealogy. Mm. It's a genealogy of, of men. Mm-hmm. But then he names four moms. Hmm. He names Tamar, in verse 3, Rahab, Ruth, and the wife of Uriah. What do they all have in common? They're all non-Israelites. Hmm. They're all non-Jews. Wow. <laughs> they were, all of them except Rahab, uh, recently widowed. Huh. They all have nighttime meetings that are a little bit suspicious with uh, some leader from Israel. They all make bold requests of some Israelite. And uh, most of them, at some point in their own narratives, make a confession that Yahweh, the God of Israel, is their God. 
Hmm. So he's highlighting these Gentile women in Jesus' genealogy. Yeah, you wouldn't expect that. <laughs> yeah. Huh. So what, this is very similar to Mark. The stories of Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba, who's the wife of Uriah, yeah. they're all hyperlinked within the Hebrew Bible. Mm. They're, those, those stories characters are, are connected. Those stories are connected in really important ways, mm. developing the theme of Yahweh rescuing the Messianic seed through the surprising woman figure. Hmm. It's a motif where these women keep saving <clears throat> stupid Israelite men, <laughs> but is in it, surprising uh, ways. Is that, when you say motif in this sense, is that different <clears throat> than a theme? Oh, well, it actually might be a theme and I, I just need to do more work on it. It's huh, interesting thing. Eve uh, becomes the first one deceived mm-hmm. uh, and then Adam is deceived through her deception. Yeah. But then what you're going to get through the story of the Hebrew Bible is sometimes you'll get a husband and wife and the wife becomes the downfall of the woman. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's the man is the downfall of the woman. Mm-hmm. Wait, the wife is the downfall of the man. Sometimes the man's right. the downfall of the woman. Mm-hmm. But then you'll get these surprising stories where uh, the guy will get rescued by the woman. Yeah. And it seems, I think all of those are little inverted Genesis 3 stories. Mm-hmm. Anyhow. So this genealogy is packed with... Hebrew Bible awesomeness. Yeah. <laughs> That's our point here. Yeah. 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 You're not supposed to just skip over this genealogy. You're supposed to meditate on it. Mm-hmm. Why three sections? Mm-hmm. Why 14 each? Yeah. Why are these women in here? Why are all these non-Israelite women in here? Huh. Yeah. Genealogies are one of the biblical authors' most favorite vehicles for showing the continuity of God's promises throughout generations. Mm-hmm. And so they build a lot of... S- numerical symbolism uh, and word plays into the genealogies Hmm. from Genesis all the way to the end. So that's Matthew. We could add that to the How to Read series. How How to to Read read Genealogies. genealogies. (laughs) (laughs) Totally, totally. All right, should we look at Luke? Let's look at Luke. Luke, just again, just a little high-flying survey here. Luke is the only one of the four Gospels that begins with a little prologue of the author addressing the reader. Mm, Remember, we've talked about this before. This is um, the only explicit sneak peek we get into how the Gospels were created. Yeah. Yeah. So he says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. So he's saying, first of all, he's acknowledging there are other accounts of Jesus out there. Mm -hmm. And how do you get an account from Jesus? Well, it's traditions passed down from the eyewitnesses, one, and two, servants of the word, people who have dedicated themselves to memorizing the Jesus tradition. Mm. Oh, is that what that means? And then who travel around as apostles and teachers. Yeah. They memorized the Jesus traditions before they were written up in the Gospels and they, I mean, how did that happen in those first decades before the Gospels existed? You didn't pass around tapes or something. Just memorize it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So all that's going on, right? There's other accounts out there. Lots of people are still alive who saw what happened. Lots of people have teaching, memorizing the Jesus stories, but it seemed fitting for me, he says in verse three, Hmm. having investigated everything carefully. From the beginning to write out in order for you, most excellent Theophilus. Thanks for the paycheck, by the way, (laughs) sponsoring my my research leave, so that you may know the truth about the things that you have been taught. Theophilus was like, Luke, go do some investigative reporting. So look at what you can put together a lot here. Theophilus is a a follower of Jesus Mm -hmm. who's been taught. Yeah. He's in the local Jesus community. Yeah. He's heard the servants of the word. Yeah. Uh, he's probably met an eyewitness or two who came through town, maybe, yeah. you know? Right. And then he thought, you know. Let's put this all together. Yes. Yeah. Maybe I could use, God's blessed me with like this olive orchard. It's a really great year. Maybe I could commission a new account 
I met this guy, Luke. He's a physician, super sharp. He knows Paul. He traveled with him. He was in that shipwreck with him. And uh, so maybe he would write it up. Luke says, absolutely, I will. In fact, I'll even dedicate it to you. (laughs) (laughs) And that's how you get a paragraph like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. I I love to think about the untold story. Right. Underneath that. Yeah. Yeah. He's an olive tree owner. Evidently, in your imagination. Well, yeah. <laughs> I yeah, I don't know. He's a merchant or something. Um, okay, look how he begins. I, Luke's done his beginning with style. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Aviah, and he had a wife from among the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elisabeth. They were righteous in the sight of God walking blamelessly in the commandments and the requirements of the Lord, but they had no child. Elizabeth's womb was barren, and they were very old. Let's just pause right there. Mm -hmm. Who does this remind you of? Yeah, who doesn't it remind you of? So you've got a priest named Zechariah. He's a Levite. Levites all come from the the lineage of Aaron. Mm -hmm. And he married a, a wife, from the, um, from the line of Aaron. Yeah. What was Aaron's wife's name? Aaron's wife's name. I don't remember. <laughs> that's good. That's a good Bible trivia. Yeah. Elizabeth. Oh, how convenient. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah, not. Yeah. So, a, a priest from the line of Aaron married to a Levite daughter, who's named after the wife of the matriarch of the line. Yeah. Or the the matriarch of the line. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you got that portrait. Mm-hmm. The priests. They are righteous and blameless. Hmm. That echoes Noah, exactly, mm-hmm. and it echoes Abraham, mm-hmm. what God called Abraham to be mm. in the opening line of Genesis 17, <laughs> walk before me and be blameless. But they're really old and they have no children. This was a scroll moment. Yeah, in our in, Luke video. In our Luke video, yeah. yeah. So he's portraying this couple who's going to become John the Baptist's parents mm-hmm. as in Abraham and Sarah as a priestly Abraham and Sarah. Right. Figure. Yeah. Yeah. So just. This is a design pattern com- conversation again. Correct. Yes. Yeah. And so what you're meant to do is be like, oh yeah, I know another couple like this, advanced in years, barren, but trying to follow God and mm-hmm. live by his commands, serving God. So then your, your mind is meant to survey the whole Abraham and Sarah story, mm. look for similarities. Mm. And then also to think about what happened to Abraham and Sarah, Hmm. and then come back here full of anticipation based on what happened in the past. So that's, it's setting you up for expectation. So the whole plot conflict is God promises a big family to a couple that's in like their 80s that's never been able to have children. Yeah. That's so good. And then Luke just goes on and he begins, he tells you this beautiful story, elaborate character portrayals, right? of um, Zechariah and an angel appears to him while he's offering incense and says, you're going to have a kid. He doesn't believe it. Just, mm. just like um, Abraham and Sarah in mm. Genesis 18. He says, how can I know? I'm an old man. My wife is advanced in years. Oh, this is good. The angel says, you know, you're going to have a son. And then in verse 18, Zechariah says, how can I know this for certain? I am an old man. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, (laughs) (laughs) who stands in the presence of God. I've been sent to bring you good news. Yeah. So that's it for you. You're you're done, man. You're silent. You won't be able to speak until he's born. You know you're important when your answer can just be, I'm Gabriel. I'm Gabriel. (laughs) I love that. I'm an old man. (laughs) I'm Gabriel. Oh, I thought we were just telling facts. (laughs) That's right. right. Yeah. So anyway, so then, then she gets pregnant. So this is the herald. The angel tells Zechariah he's going to be an Elijah figure who prepares the way of the Lord. He's overlapping with Mark's theme here. Hmm. So God redoes the Abraham and Sarah thing to raise up a miraculous child. But this miraculous child is just the setup yeah. character, the herald. Yeah, normally these stories are to like about the lineage of the seed. Yes, that's right. But this one is about the herald to mm-hmm. the one coming. That's right. And then, so in the next story with Mary, then you get another story of the angel appearing to Mary. <clears throat> yeah. And she becomes a contrast figure to the priest. 
So she's like a teenage girl. And instead of saying, how can I know this is true? I'm so, she doesn't say that. I'm so young. That's impossible. What uh, her response is, uh, you you know, I'm a virgin, right? (laughs) You know how this works, right? Yeah. And the angel said, yeah, don't. We got that covered. Don't worry. (laughs) The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And her response is, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Total opposite of Zechariah. Mm, So... Oh, this is. She doesn't ask for credentials. This, this, this is so cool. So, look how Luke's portrayed this. She shows the old priest who serves God in the temple. Yeah. And he lacks faith, just like Abraham did most of the time, except that one occasion when he trusted God mm-hmm. and he was credited to him as righteousness. Most of the time, Abraham's kind of blown it. And so, he puts Zechariah in the Abraham slot of like mm-hmm. the unbeliever. And then Luke contrasts the old man who's like the religious leader with a teenage girl mm-hmm. who's going to get pregnant out of wedlock. <laughs> and she becomes exalted as mm-hmm. the model of faith mm-hmm. for the reader. Yeah. It's so amazing. Mm. And then she's going to go sing a song about it, the Magnificat yeah. in, in chapter one. And dude, look what it is. It's, the whole, it's all about the upside down. Yeah, He's had regard for the humble state of his servant. And it's all about how he's brought down the high and exalted mm-hmm. and lifts up the humble and the hungry. And so the narrative contrast between Zechariah and Mary is itself doing that. Mm-hmm. The high priests are being brought down mm. and the lowly, right, no-name girl is being exalted as the mother of the Messiah. Yeah, I, I've always thought that was cool. It is cool. The narrative is doing what the poem yeah. later tells you God's yeah. doing. Luke's amazing, man. Yeah, and that just becomes a massive theme throughout all of Luke as yeah. we explore it in our Luke series yeah. Yeah. of the Upside Down Kingdom. Yep. to our last quick survey. We're, we're, again, we're looking at how the opening movements of the four Gospels link the story of Jesus into the Hebrew Scriptures. Mm. Uh, John 1 just hits you over the head. Hits you over the head. <laughs> yeah. Slaps you in the face. Yeah. <laughs> hits you over the head. You're right. It's such a violent, why it shows a violent <laughs> He doesn't hit you. John comes out of the it's gate a, swinging. <laughs> it's a punch in the gut. In the beginning is yeah. how the opening words. Yeah. Yeah. And you're supposed to be on... Of course, in the beginning, I know that phrase. Yes. Yeah. It's how the whole of the Hebrew scriptures begin. It begins. This is a, that was a creation story. This is the beginning of the new creation story. Hmm. God spoke the light into existence. Here, God's word is the light shining in the darkness. Hmm. So it's clear John wants us to have Genesis uploaded. Mm -hmm. Uh, He goes on. To even mention creation in John 1, verse 3, all things came to exist through him, and apart from him, not one thing came into existence that has come into existence. Mm. Okay, so Genesis 1, that's clear. Supposed to be blindingly obvious. Mm -hmm. Here's um, another thing John's doing that's not so obvious, but that is actually really important and significant, is that Proverbs 8 is very much on the brain for John in this opening paragraph too. Proverbs 8 remind me, is that that's of Lady Wisdom yes. creating with God. Yep. Yeah, that's co-creating. Yeah. Proverbs 8 is one of the most dense uh, appearances of this figure, Lady Wisdom, mm. who appears all throughout the Proverbs. Oh, uh, all throughout the And then Hebrew also, scriptures? well, arguably also in the Song of Songs, oh, too, okay, right. depending on your yeah. point of view. Yeah. But Proverbs 8 is itself a reading of Genesis 1 and a meditation on the complex portrait of God found in Genesis 1. So this is ranging back to our whole series on the God mm-hmm. conversations. Yeah. But um, do you remember in Genesis 1, we pondered how later biblical authors, like in Psalm 33, 
um, are paying attention to the portrait of God in Genesis 1, that you have Elohim creating in mm-hmm. the first line. In the beginning, Elohim creating. In the creating. beginning, Elohim. And then the phrase used to describe God's personal presence hovering in the uncreated world is Ruach, Ruach, spirit of Elohim. And then the means by which God actually begins to order Mm. and create is by his word. He speaks a word. So Psalm 33 creates two little parallel lines. By the word of the Lord, he created all things by the spirit of his mouth, the breath of his mouth, Mm. he commanded. Yeah, and that's yeah, that's interesting. In Hebrew, those ideas are connected mm-hmm. in that word. your word yeah. is your breath, yeah. which is the word ruach. Correct. So, in the biblical story as it develops, Proverbs 8 picks this up and um, begins to portray and imagine this attribute of God, God's Wisdom. word and mind or spirit. And then another image gets added to it, his wisdom, yeah. his uh, supreme of wisdom to craft. So Lady Wisdom speaks up in this poem. It's as if we're hearing from this attribute of God speaking aloud. So this is in Proverbs chapter 8, where it says, Yahweh possessed me in the beginning of his way. Before his works from of old, from ancient times, I was established from the beginning. Uh, Later on, and then goes on to say, you know, before the mountains were founded and before the skies drizzled rain and all this kind of thing. And Lady Wisdom says, there I was next to him, Mm. beside him. Yeah, like now it's separate from God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Proverbs 8, really interesting. But also at work in Proverbs uh, are statements like this. Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 3, by means of wisdom, Yahweh founded the land. By means of his understanding, he established the skies. So why wisdom here? Mm. Because in Genesis 1, wisdom mm-hmm. is not a word that's used. It's, no. it's yeah. ruach. Mm-hmm. It's the word of God. Correct. So why is it in Proverbs yeah. now we're talking about the wisdom of God? Why, don't, oh. why isn't the, 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 lady, the lady word or the lady <laughs> Yeah, I understand. Ruach? Well, uh, because the book of Proverbs assumes a holistic reading of the Torah and the prophets. Mm-hmm. And so it's combining the themes of Yahweh's ability to create an order about humans tap into that order when they submit to Yahweh's wisdom by the fear of the Lord, which is a theme introduced in Genesis 3, the fear of the Lord. Yeah. They fear the Lord too late right? <laughs> <laughs> instead of early enough yeah. uh, after they eat from the tree instead of before. So it's as if you could say the wisdom of God is the a deep theme undergirding Genesis 1, mm. but the word itself isn't at the surface. Yeah. It's later biblical authors who bring it to the surface, okay. so to speak. So the significant thing here is that this figure of Lady Wisdom, who is an attribute of God, but yet distinct from God, right. gives the apostles a category to start talking about the identity of Jesus. Mm. And so when John talks about God's word was both God and with God beside him, Mm. he's using the The same kind of category. Yes. He's actually using the language in categories of Proverbs 8, Mm. that it's God's wisdom, and yet wisdom is an entity distinct from God, like along with him. Now, in Orthodox Christianity, you don't have the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and Lady Wisdom. Correct. 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 Um, so Lady Wisdom in the Proverbs fits a different category in that it, it's more, what, metaphorical uh, or more? Well, I think what we, uh, in those conversations we had in the past, it's that Lady Wisdom creates a mental shelf mm-hmm. space in the biblical Jewish mind of the complex portrait of God and that God's attributes are both God and distinct from God. <laughs> right. And so... So it's an abstraction where Jesus is... Yeah. What John is essentially claiming is Jesus is in a lady wisdom-like slot. He is one who pre-existed creation and exi- was God and distinct from God from time before creation. Mm-hmm. He's using the mental category that wisdom yeah. provides from the Hebrew Bible and yeah. putting Jesus in the wisdom slot. So scholars call this wisdom Christology, <laughs> which means the apostles are talking about the divine identity of Jesus in the melody of mm-hmm. uh, this lady wisdom theme. Is there any Hebrew scholars, Jewish scholars who think of 
Lady Wisdom is anything more than just a scheme mm. or a, a uh, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, actually, just there's, an attribute of God? Correct. Yeah, there's been a diversity of views, especially in the modern era. Mm. Yeah, some people think that it's essentially a survival of ancient Israelite polytheism. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it was, uh, you know, a creator goddess that was alongside Yahweh and that what she is now is submerged. Uh, this is all very speculative. Yeah. Uh, that particular proposal, I don't actually think it's probable at all. Although there were lots of gods and goddesses and, you know, some of them work together in the ancient world. Once we're to what Proverbs is doing, in my view and in, in the view of other scholars, it's either a metaphorical scheme that would be like represented by Michael Fox, who's was my doctoral advisor mm. and a, a master of the wisdom literature. He thinks it's an elaborate metaphorical scheme mm. of a really creative author. However, when you take Proverbs 8 in the context of the Hebrew Bible, there's all of these other things going on yeah. with God's complex identity that I, I think there's it's one part of a bigger puzzle. Yeah. In other words, the opening lines of John, mm-hmm. the link Jesus, the pre-incarnate Jesus, yeah. to Genesis 1 is also linking Jesus to Proverbs 8, mm-hmm. to both at the same time. Cool. So notice there how it's a little bit different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you get a sense of the historical drama mm-hmm. leading up to yeah. the moment when the God of Israel arrives, yeah. the new Exodus. John gets into the prehistory. Yes. For John, it's all, and he tells you at the ep- epilogue, this book is all about the identity of Jesus. Mm. So he is going to have tap you into Israel's story. But really what he's focused on is how Israel's story illuminates the identity of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, he'll borrow from Genesis 1 and Proverbs 8. He'll borrow, well, here, let's look at another example. This is later in the paragraph, the famous uh, verse 14 of chapter 1. And the word became flesh and set up a tent. Mm-hmm among us, and we saw his glory, the glory as of the one and only from the Father. So that word, that divine word. That created. The word and wisdom that through whom, that is God and with God, through whom God created, becomes human. You just, you, and you just conflated those two things, word and wisdom. Ah, the In wisdom your mind, is that the, should be, those yeah, should be kind of yeah, of the same substance. Yeah. And, mm-hmm, yeah, that's right. They are theological synonyms. Okay, okay. <laughs> they work alongside each other. Really? Because, well, yeah, if God speaks, what does he speak out of? He speaks out of his... His mind. His mind, his, his wisdom. Mm. His, and when God speaks, he orders the world. And remember, biblical wisdom, it's craftsmanship, mm. your ability to craft something ordered and functional. Mm. So God's word is an expression of his wisdom. His wisdom... Is expressed through his word. Yeah. Is uh, made known through his word. Made known through his word. Correct. So that word uh, becomes human. And then John uses an odd phrase here. It's the word for to set up a tent. Yeah. <laughs> Tabernacled. Yeah. Yeah. So very clearly that's alluding to... God's presence. Yes. And people often conflate these two um, as they'll say this is temple imagery. And that's true. But in the storyline of the Bible, the temple is the brick and mortar version of a concept, an idea that's already at work in the Bible in and through the tent, the mm-hmm. traveling tent or the yeah. tabernacle. And John chooses the tent imagery here, mm. which I think is it's mobile. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. And so is Jesus. And so is Jesus. So with that comes a whole thing about the theology of the tabernacle. It's Eden, where mm. Eden touches earth. It's mm. heaven and earth. Yeah. So he uses the verb skenao, um, which is a verb uh, of the noun that in the Greek Septuagint, skenes, in Hebrew, mishkan, it's the tabernacle. Hmm. So he he is uh, an incarnate tabernacle. And the tabernacle itself was an incarnation. It was a physical manifestation of God's Hmm. power, glory, beauty. So he's a human tabernacle. Yeah. What would you say? The tent was like a material, (laughs) material incarnation. I never thought of it that way. I just thought of it as the holding tank for God's mm, presence, mm, not that yeah. in some way it represented his presence yeah. otherwise. Well, uh, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, but this is all the whole thing about holy holiness. Mm. Holiness are objects whose identity is transcended from their normal role mm-hmm. and they're brought into the divine space mm. to assume a role in the divine purpose. 
So you make these. So the tabernacle becomes divine in some way. Well, it's an expression, yeah, of God's holiness, and all the objects are very unique. So mm-hmm. you, the oil made for the lamps, mm-hmm. you can never make that recipe of oil for anything else. <laughs> it's the sacred oil. Mm. The tent or the curtains, you know, that separate different realms of holiness inside the tent, you know, those are utterly unique, not to be reproduced in any other way. Mm. So it's as if they become, yeah, co-opted into little incarnations. Mm. John says, we saw his glory. The glory of God came into the tabernacle. Mm -hmm. That's what you saw. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the whole story of making the tabernacle culminates with the fire cloud pillar Mm -hmm. coming to descend on and fill up the tent. So again, what John's doing, he is tapping into the Hebrew Bible story, Mm -hmm. but it's not just to say, and finally, he's here. Mm -hmm. He's actually using a very potent image from the Hebrew Bible to talk about the identity of Jesus. Right. It's, kind of, it's that pattern again. Yeah. So, uh, and every one of these patterns is putting Jesus in the Yahweh slot. Yeah, John's really Bible. yeah, hammering that down. That's right. And so were Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They were just doing it through a narrative means. Mm. Like remember Mark put Jesus in the Yahweh slot when he quotes from Isaiah and Malachi Right. Saying one day Yahweh is going to come. Yep, and here comes Jesus. And then he introduces Jesus yeah. as Yahweh coming to his people, yeah. that kind of thing. You know, it's interesting. John's moves to do this are so clear mm. that it, it often makes, especially modern readers who aren't attuned to Jewish narrative style, mm. biblical style, it makes it feel like John's the only one who's making explicit claims oh. about Jesus' divinity, mm. whereas Matthew, Mark, and Luke maybe are show him more as a human mm. something. But that's a, it's a misunderstanding. We're just not getting the cues mm. from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. All four of them are doing this, but John does it in a way that somehow modern, modern Western readers feel like Can pick like up on it easier. Yeah, yeah. So we could go on, but we're just doing little samplings here right. from each of, the, each of the beginnings. just pause and just think of all four of those. Yeah. Four very different beginnings. Yeah. Four totally different strategies yeah. for introducing an ancient biography. So Mark, <laughs> he does what you think is a direct quote of Isaiah. He yeah. just comes out of the game. He's like, let me quote to you from Isaiah. Yeah. He says that it's going to be a story about Jesus. Yeah. But then he opens with a long block quotation. Yeah. Yeah, in which he's actually quoting from yeah. Malachi. M- multiple prophets, yeah, and, Malachi and Isaiah. and Isaiah. And it's all to set you up so you can understand why he's going to tell you about John, yeah. who's going to introduce Jesus. Correct. And you're supposed to be seeing the messenger declaring the way of Yahweh. Mm-hmm. So he's using this kind of direct quotation to get your psyche into the mm. Hebrew scriptures and seeing how it's connected to the whole story. Then what do we look at next? Matthew. Mm-hmm. He does the genealogy. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. whole, the, all of Hebrew scriptures is just one long family legacy, really. Yeah. yeah. And he mm-hmm. wants you to see how Jesus is the culmination of that. Yeah. Specifically from Abraham, blessing to all nations, David, Messiah over Israel, exalted, but then exile. And now we're waiting for a new David. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Luke does a lot more design pattern stuff. Mm-hmm. More we, subtle. We would, yeah, he's subtle. He more character introduces driven. characters that are design patterns of characters you've met. Mm-hmm. In order to see what Luke's doing, you really have to be clued into how design patterns work in, in the Bible. Like, yes. I would have never noticed that until you pointed it out before, Yeah. yeah. Um, what he's doing with characters. And he does it with... I guess mainly with characters. Yeah, yeah there's uh, there aren't any explicit quotations, yeah. for example. Mark begins with a marked quotation, as it yeah. says in Isaiah. Yeah. Matthew begins with genealogies that are built yeah. off of Old Testament genealogies. Luke just tells you a beautiful story. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And the 
parallels are just woven into the language and the oh yeah images. so it's not just character but he also yeah upright and blameless mm-hmm. it's yeah. a term that's a hype that's right glowing hyperlink too yes his but, wife's name is the same as Aaron's wife his wife's barren just like Abraham's wife is not able to have kids so yeah. he wants you to be uploading all those stories mm-hmm. and be paying attention to how these stories riff off of correct those stories correct. And he's doing that to make this kind of beautiful portrait of mm. the humble and the mm-hmm. the lowly being exalted yeah. and being a model of faith. Yeah. And then John, man, he does similar hyperlinking thing yeah. where he's just using phrases that makes you realize like, oh, he's doing creation stuff mm-hmm. in the beginning, light shining in the darkness. Mm-hmm. You're like, this is all Genesis 1. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He introduces the word, which is this attribute of God, which is like a character in the Hebrew scriptures yeah, almost. Yeah. It's also just the thing that God does in Genesis 1. Yeah, he speaks. He speaks. Yeah. 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 And he connects this all to Jesus. That's the um, light. Yeah. Shining in darkness. So let's just create a little inventory here okay. of, of techniques. So this is all under the heading of a unique feature of the gospel. They're constantly and from the first moments tying the Jesus story back into the Hebrew scriptures. Yeah. So we've seen lots of different strategies here. Yeah. One is direct quotation. Yep. That's how Mark does it. Um, the next one is scholars debate the terminology here, whether, um, but the word allusion is a commonly used term. Mm-hmm. When I allude to something, yeah. I want you to see what I'm referring to, yeah. but I want you to work for it. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah. Whatever. I use Star Wars like phrases all the time around the house. Right. And uh, my, my kids are now beginning to appreciate <laughs> them because I've shown them the clips, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. But the point is I need to be able to say, you know, Luke, trust your instincts. It is. You know? It's interesting <laughs> that that is a communication technique. It is. Oh, it totally is. It's really fascinating. I assume that you and I share a body of background knowledge. Yeah. And I'll subtly allude to it. And I'm putting the ball in your court to do the work. Yes. To see what I mean. And it, it could easily backfire. Yeah. And it could not, it could, yeah, it could fail. It could, it could not land. Yep. Yeah, yeah. What's the reward? The, uh, the reward is a bond between mm. the speaker and the listener. It's like that becomes our thing. Yeah. And I guess the reward is when I, when I do discover it, yeah. it means more because I worked for it. I mean, exactly. You forcing the listener or reader to participate in the discovery of yeah. deeper meaning. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So this is actually the, well, this is one of the main ways the gospels work. Yeah. There's not a story, not a parable of Jesus, not a teaching of Jesus mm. that isn't packed with Old Testament illusions. Wow. I mean, it just boggles my mind and yeah. uh, it's just ev- everywhere. One we've talked about before is in the baptism story, which follows in Mark chapter one. Yeah. Where God says, you are my son, with you I am well pleased. Yeah. And that's wording from three different passages in the Hebrew scriptures. Yeah. But it's not marked. Like yeah. the opening quote from Malachi and yeah, Isaiah. Yeah, it doesn't say, as it says in Correct. the Hebrew scriptures. Yeah, it's just God speaking. Yeah. yeah. And you're, supposed to, you're supposed to pick that up. Correct. But he's, what he speaks is the language of Isaiah 42, Genesis 22, and Psalm 2, all blended together. Very strategically. So this one you got to work for. You have to read the Bible a lot to get the payoff here. There you go. There's nothing for it. The gospel authors like are inviting you to Hmm. do this. So that's two strategies. One is direct quotation. One is more indirect allusion. And then narrative parallels, Mm, which is not language and and sometimes not even verbatim words. Yeah. But motifs, motifs, yeah. the barren couple yeah. that God grants the miraculous son, right. Jesus going into the wilderness for 40 days, like Israel for 40 years, all this kind of stuff. Jesus talking with a woman at a well, <laughs> <laughs> the well of Jacob, mm. which is where Jacob met his wife at a well, mm. these kinds of things. Yeah. So all of a sudden you realize every story has been designed this way. Okay. So that's the first feature of the gospels that's different than how it connects to the story yeah this is makes them stand out among comparing them to ancient greek and roman biographies Mm. these are heavily scripturally shaped stories well yeah because it's it's jewish literature it's jewish totally yeah (laughs) Yeah, you got it you know this just really speaks to 
that this is Unified Story leads to Jesus. Like, that's obviously what they're thinking. Yeah, that's like, right. So yeah. they're constantly pulling in the whole story yeah. to help you see how it's all unified. Correct. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Underneath it all is, yeah, their conviction that Jesus is the one bringing the unified scriptural story to its fulfillment and taking it forward. just looked at how each gospel begins yep but i'm imagining that we could have jumped anywhere and yeah any of the, the gospels thing. that's right and done the same thing yeah it's just can fun we, to compare the beginning can we do that oh just jump in anywhere okay deal all right <laughs> we'll see what happens <laughs> <laughs> i don't have my print matthew Greek, Greek new testament with all my notes uh, though, you know well, but yeah well, let's see what happens Are i'm just, just i'm just, just going gonna, random all right john yeah. the baptist Jesus, well, I'll let you read it. Let's do verses one through six. Matthew 11, one through six. Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples and he went on from there, which is, where was he? Yeah, uh, he was just go- going around Galilee teaching in the synagogue. So he's in the Galilee. Yep. He went on from there to teach and preach in their mm-hmm. cities. Now, when John, this is John the Baptist, mm-hmm. heard mm-hmm. in prison, because he's in prison, about the deeds of the Christ, mm-hmm. he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or should we look for another? And Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see the blind receive the sight and the lame walk. Lepers mm-hmm. are cleansed mm-hmm. and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them mm-hmm. and blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Yes. And then everyone's like, what the heck are you talking about, Jesus? <laughs> we just want to know if you're the Messiah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, totally. Yep. Okay, so the setting is John was the herald for Jesus. Yeah, but now he's in prison. And now he's in prison. And Matthew, I forget, by chapter 11, has he told you the story yet? No. Of how he got into prison? Yeah. I think it's coming. Yeah, no, he's not going to tell you how John got into prison until chapter 14. Oh. (laughs) This is a little... A little preview. A little preview and kind of a little chronological glitch almost. Mm where he's assuming something that he hasn't told you about yet, but he's going to later. Mm. So John's sitting in prison, and he hears of the works of the Messiah. That's yeah. what it says, the works of Christ. Okay. Not Jesus. The works of, remember, G- yeah, Christ, Christ is not a name, it's a title. Yeah. He hears of the works of the Messiah. And he's like, oh, yeah, my cousin. Yeah. He's, he's the Messiah. So we, so that's what we all, uh, he got anointed at the baptism. Mm-hmm. This is my son. I'm yeah. pleased with right? So... Messiah is supposed to be bringing the kingdom of God. Yeah. I'm sitting here in prison. Yeah. What's, in John's mind, that's a big disconnect. Yeah, if the kingdom of God's here, <laughs> I think God would let me out of prison. I think the herald should... Uh, shouldn't be locked up. Shouldn't be locked up by the bad guys. The bad guys are supposed to be getting run out of town. Yeah. So, is this going to happen? Yeah. Or so, not? So, people are surprised. This is John expressing his doubt. Yeah. About when, Jesus' when you identity. did the Read Scripture Matthew video. Oh, yes. Yeah, so this just generated comments. This generated a lot of comments because mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. made a point of this whole section in Matthew is yep. different. That's right. Different ways people are responding yeah. to. That's right. Chapters not, 11 and 12 are a portrait of a variety of responses. To Jesus being some positive, the Christ. Some negative. And some neutral. And some neutral. And this one you said was neutral. Yeah. And and on its face, it is. It yeah. is. It is. Yeah. Our, wait. Art. Are you the one? Like, I don't know. I'm confused. Am I supposed to be looking yeah. for somebody else, Jesus? No. And people were like, no, John. John knew what was up because... Yeah, he baptized him. Yeah. And, and John, he says, you know, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Yeah, he wasn't confused then. Yeah. No. 
But he is now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just because someone is full of faith in one moment doesn't mean they're full of faith the next. Mm. Certainly characterizes my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, the biblical authors are, have pulled no punches at portraying characters. The, it's like the warts and all approach. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, so okay. the point of this exercise <laughs> is, to, <laughs> is to show me. Look at Jesus. How, resp- yes. Yeah. Yep. Look at Jesus' response. Yeah. His words aren't even his own. Go and report to John He's what you hear and see. The blind receive sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. The poor have good news announced to them. Do you see? So it's a list of one, two, three, four, five, six. Mm-hmm. So notice the blind, the leper, the deaf, the dead, and the poor. Yeah. Three of those are directly out of the book of Isaiah. So the blind receive sight. And the lame walking is right, copy and paste it out of Isaiah 35, 5, and 6. Hmm. So he's quoting the prophets. Yeah, but look at what he's quoting. Isaiah, what again? Mm-hmm. Isaiah 35. 35. And this is very common when Jesus or the apostles quote from one section of mm-hmm. a chap- of a unit or a poem. Uh-huh. What they're doing is activating the entire, yeah. the entire section. They want you to be thinking about yep. that whole yeah, section. Yeah, totally. So Isaiah 35 is a remarkable, it's a bridge text between two major sections of Isaiah. Mm-hmm. And it's act, it itself, this whole chapter is just all hyperlinks mm-hmm. from other sections of the book of Isaiah. So this is like a key juncture where you get the core message of the book. And it, it's a poem that begins with the desert and the parched land is going to start rejoicing. Why? Because it's going to turn into a garden, the Garden of Eden. Mm. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus, bursting into bloom, rejoicing and shouting for joy. You know what? The glory of Lebanon, the great forest of the north, Mm -hmm. will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon. Okay, so you have the desert is going to turn into the Garden of Eden. Okay. And then Lebanon is going to be given. It's going to become like the forest of Lebanon. What, um, when Solomon was building the temple. Yeah. He took the trees from Lebanon. Yeah. He went up to Hiram of Tyre and was like, hey, let's get all the cedars of Lebanon. And then he built the temple. So a temple, mm. you have a forest. Mm. Garden temple. That supplied the temple growing in the garden in the wilderness. <laughs> and what's going to happen there? They will all see the glory of Yahweh, the splendor of our God. Yeah. And God so shows a up. A new temple is going to grow. Mm. A new Eden temple is going to sprout in the wilderness. Nice. So that's just the first paragraph. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, yeah, just the, all the design patterns right there in the first paragraph yeah. of the thing we're going back to show <laughs> yeah. the literary connection. <laughs> it's like it's endless, it's, dude. Isaiah, it's the whole Hebrew. Because I wouldn't have been able to read that paragraph. Oh, I see. And then being able to like, oh yeah, Lebanon, and so that's connected to the temple. Correct. That's right. It's just like. I mean, I maybe yeah. after a half a day of work in a concordance <laughs> or something. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Psalm 1. Psalm Meditate 1. Meditate on yeah, day the and Bible night. day and night. Yeah. If you want to understand it in its full depth, it yeah. takes a lifetime. Okay. Then, so we got, okay, the desert. That's great news. A new Eden Garden temple can sprout in the wilderness. Mm. What we've been waiting for since Genesis 3. You know. <laughs> uh, next. Y'all strengthen the feeble hands and the weak knees. Y'all say to those with fearful hearts, No, be strong. Don't be afraid. Your God is coming. He's coming with vengeance, with divine justice. Your God is coming to save y'all. So now we have a group of people who are being called to strengthen the weak and the hurting by saying, No, Yahweh hasn't abandoned us in the desert. Mm -hmm. The garden's going to bloom. He's coming to save us. Verse 5. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened. Then the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer. The mute will shout for joy. Waters will gush in the wilderness. Streams in the desert. The burning sand becomes a pool. The thirsty ground becomes bubbling springs. Are we going to talk about that in the waters (laughs) of Eden? Uh, Yeah. In other words, a garden growing in the wilderness. Yahweh coming to save his terrified people, mm. people's eyes being opened, mm-hmm. ears being, un- right? The, yeah. the blind, the deaf, the lame, the mute, water gushing in the wilderness. These are all just saying the same thing. 
kingdom of God is here. New creation. Ah, new creation. New creation mm. Which is God's kingdom coming to yeah. rescue his creation that's in exile. Yeah. So Jesus is, he quotes from one section. Yeah. <laughs> Of a whole poem about saying... To answer the question he was asking. Yeah, yes. New creation is this, really is arriving, John. Yeah. It really is arriving. Yeah. That's his response. Wow. But then look at his last line. He says, how blessed is the one who, who isn't, this is the word scandalizo. Oh yeah, scandalized. Scandalized. Bl- blessed is the one who isn't scandalized because of me. Uh, this too is from Isaiah. Multiple points, but Isaiah chapter 8. In Isaiah 8... Isaiah has written down his message of judgment and hope, and the people have rejected him. Mm-hmm. And so what he says is, um, God says, listen, don't be afraid. Verse 12, everything that this people calls a conspiracy, don't be afraid of what they're afraid of. Mm-hmm. Verse 13, Yahweh of hosts, that's who you regard as holy, fear him. Mm-hmm. And then look at this. For those who fear him, Yahweh is a sanctuary. He's going to be like a temple. Mm-hmm. And this is all about the dry land, Genesis 1, you are my rock and my fortress mm-hmm. temple. Mm-hmm. So God is the rock temple. Where it, life can emerge. Yep, where life can emerge. He becomes the safe sanctuary of those who will trust in him. But for those who don't, he becomes a stone to strike your foot upon and a rock to scandalizo. Mm-hmm. God is two kinds of rock. Mm-hmm based on whether you trust him He's a rock that you can build on as a foundation. Yes. Or it can trip you. Or he'll be a rock that you stub your toe on and trip and are scandalized. Yeah. Yeah. So Jesus activates this passage too. Yeah. Where, listen, I'm here bringing about the new creation, but there's some who aren't going to be able to see it. And the thing that I'm doing and saying is the new creation will actually cause them to stumble. They'll stumble over what God's purpose is. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm bringing about a moment of crisis and decision for Israel. Mm. They will have to choose, just like they had to choose in Isaiah's day. So they have to choose now. Mm. Okay, that was a long example. But there it is. Yeah, there it is. Matthew 11. All right. So that's the first unique feature of the Gospels. Got a couple more. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Bible Project Podcast. We've got one more episode in this series on how to read the Gospels that will come out next week. This show was produced by Dan Gummel. Our music comes from the band Tents. The Bible Project's a crowdfunded nonprofit. We're in Portland, Oregon. We believe the Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus. So we make free resources so you can experience the Bible that way. And it's all available for free because of the generosity of people like you who have pitched in to make it possible. Thank you so much for being a part of this with us. Hi, this is Joel. I'm from Waco, Texas. And I use the Bible Project to teach my children about the Bible. My favorite thing about the Bible Project is the excellent videos. We believe the Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus. We're a crowd-funded project by people like me. Find free videos, study notes, podcasts, and more at thebibleproject.com.